Welcome to the podcast today, book nerds. Today we're going to be talking to author Justin Newland about his book, The Old Dragon's Head. And before we get started with the interview, here's a quick synopsis. Constructed of stone and packed earth, the Great Wall of 10,000 Li protects China's northern borders from the threat of Mongol incursion. The wall is also home to a supernatural beast, the Old Dragon. The Old Dragon's Head is the most easterly point of the wall where it finally meets the sea. In every era, a dragon master is born. Endowed with the powers of heaven, only he can summon the old dragon so long as he possesses the dragon pearl. It's the year 1400, and neither the old dragon, the dragon pearl, nor the dragon master has been seen for 20 years. Bolin, a young man working on the old dragon's head, suffers visions of ghosts. Folk believe he has yin-yang eyes and other paranormal gifts. When Bolin's fief lord, the prince of Yan, rebels against his nephew, the Jianwen emperor, a bitter war of succession ensues in which the Mongols hold the balance of power. While the victor might win the battle on earth, China's dragon throne can only be earned with the mandate from heaven and the support of the old dragon. Bolin embarks on a journey of self-discovery, mirroring old China's endeavor to come of age. When Bolin accepts his destiny as a dragon master, heaven sends a third coming of age for humanity itself. But are any of them ready for what's rising in the east? All right, book nerds, welcome to the podcast today. I'm joined by Justin Newland. He's going to be talking to us about some of his works and specifically his book, The Old Dragon's Head. So super excited to get to talk to you about this. Justin, welcome on to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, uh, Neri, and thank you so much for having me on the bookcast. Absolutely. We appreciate you joining us for the interview. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your stories and your works? Got a degree in maths um, uh, in my student days. Um, I've done a lot of IT and computers. I've, I've used punched cards and all sorts of things. So I've seen the whole evolution of computers um, right up to today. Um, I've, I've worked in hotels, um, I've run small businesses. And for the last 15 years, well, during that time, I've done a lot of research. Um, in, in history, read a lot of literature, love, loved reading, still do, um, and, you know, had an eclectic interest in all sorts of odd and curious things in life, uh, philosophy, history, drama, um, a bit of the esoteric, um, navigation, all sorts of things, just, I guess I'm just curious, so... And then my writing, I got, I got writing um, about 15 years ago. Uh, decided it'd be good to put some of that, um, some of that passion into, into my own words. Uh, my first book was called The Genes of Isis. Um, that's set in ancient Egypt. Um, and in short, retells the biblical story of the flood. Um, so we... I could, I could maybe on a different podcast we could go into the detail of that but the old dragon's head which we're going to talk about today is uh, or was my second novel and it's historical fiction um and my third and fourth third one was the coronation which is set in eastern europe in the 1760s which was a time of the seven years war a time of what was called the great enlightenment um, and the time when the steam engine was invented. I'm interested in turning moments in history. And that was one of them which began 
uh, a revolution which we all live in the wake of, if you like, the industrial revolution. Um, and my fourth novel is is a is a kind of pure novel. It's called The Abdication, um, and neither coronation or abdication are about kings and queens. Um, the Abdication is 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 a novel about a young woman's journey of self-discovery um, and it's kind of loosely set in the Middle East. So that's where we are and I, I think I mentioned to you early on I'm currently drafting uh, a novel about Elizabethan England so it's another historical novel. Definitely and from what I understand, most of your novels are standalone, so they don't run kind of concurrently into each of the separate stories. But when you're writing, do you ever kind of reference like your previous characters from the stories or you ever hide any Easter eggs or anything like that? Well, I, I guess the more I've gone on, um, the more of um, reference I've, I've actually got to have. So I, I don't really make a point of it. And yes, they are all standalone. Having said that, <coughs> the novel I set out to write on Elizabeth in England has turned into two novels because it got too damn long. So I had to cut it in half. Um, and one novel is about the circumnavigation of the, the globe by Francis Drake. And the second part of the novel is really covering um, the repulse of the Spanish Armada. So... Um, but in, in answer to your other question, I don't I don't really reference um, other characters uh, in, in the other books, but you never know. Gotcha. So, Justin, tell us a little bit about your writing style and what kind of like a day in your life or a week or so or however long it takes you to write and kind of give us a little look into your creative process. What's that like? Yeah, we, we were talking a little bit about that. Um, in the early partnering, weren't we? Um, I was saying that certainly for me, and I, I guess it must be the same for other writers, um, the, the, the sort of sacred art um, that, that we strive for is we sh shut away in a room somewhere, you know, permanently <laughs> or semi-permanently. Um, because, you know, what you want, particularly writing the last part of a novel, because that's when you need to hold the whole of the threads of the plot in your head. Um, you want continuity. You want to be a. You want no distraction. So um, I, I guess I might try and configure my day like I did today. Do the bits and pieces I had to do, and then and then head off to to, to the writing place and. Um, managed to get four hours um, work done or redrafting the last chapter of, of, the, of the, the work in progress. So, yeah. Thanks. So that being said, wanting to kind of treasure that continuity and like you said, kind of being locked away and being able to just kind of work on the novel, do you find writing to be something that's like kind of physically like demanding and draining on you or do you feel energized when you're writing you can just keep going on and on yeah it's an interesting question um i mean i've i've mused a lot on the question what is writing because i've never seen anybody try and answer that question 
the view? Can't say I that. Mean, other than it's 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 what appears when you write on a page. But what is the process? What's actually going on when you write? You know, through your brain, through your semi-conscious, unconscious, or whatever. But that's maybe another podcast. Um, <laughs> but. Um, uh, it, it, it's a fascinating process. Um, sometimes I feel energized, um, but yeah, sometimes I do feel drained. And I, I think it depends, well, it must depend on what you connect to. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I might be moved to tears. That's that's happened before. When, I, when I've written a scene and I start not crying, but I've moved to, you know, my, my my eyes get moist uh, because of the emotion of the, the moment, I suppose. Um, so that other times it might make you laugh. You know, um, you know, I suppose the writer is the first reader of his own works. Absolutely. I mean, I can definitely agree with what you said, where you're the first one to read it. You're the first one to kind of see it all come into fruition and kind of imagine the characters and just kind of see them running throughout whatever story or journey that they're moving towards. So it's, it's really almost like having a baby and taking care of it and kind of watching it grow. Mm, I, I imagine it is. Um, I imagine it is. Um, and I think that's a good analogy because you don't own the baby. The baby's there to be cared for, but it's not yours in the sense of you, are, you don't own it come through you from you just like the words of a book i mean i try not to have possession on the words um and certainly one of my catchphrases for my writing and for a lot of my life is you're only as you know like a fisherman is only as good as his last catch in the sense that you know where you are with your life and where i am with my writing is my best effort is whatever I've just written. And then kind of going off of that point like where you're writing a lot of historical novels, but they're mixed kind of between fantasy and fiction, but also these turning points in history. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier off camera before we had started the interview that, you know, you have like these different works of art that you tend to kind of look for so that you can kind of reference it. How much research do you usually have to do when it comes to these stories? Or is it something that you've kind of pulled from your mind and from past, like, kind of history lessons and things that you've had in the past? Yeah, a bit of both, uh, Mary, a bit of both. Um, certainly the first two novels, in fact, the first three, um, all came about because I had already researched and done I'd even visited uh, Egypt. I'd visited uh, this place called Konigsberg, which is now Kaliningrad on the Baltic Sea, which was the setting for the coronation. Um, but I haven't been to China. So I had been to these places, researched them in, in, in my younger years, um, and, and researched the history of those times um, of, of East Prussia for the coronation, certainly like a lot of people, just, you know, enduringly fascinated by ancient Egypt. You, 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 um, it's certainly my, my best-selling book because some people just see the cover and buy the book. 
And, and the second one is, is the old dragon's head, because a lot of people, surprisingly, have been to China and walked the Great Wall um, and, you know, have, have fond memories of that. Um, so the research I would have done for the old dragon's head, the China novel, I mean, I like to go to primary sources, as I imagine um, a lot of writers do. I, I have a whole concern about um, modern historians, bless their cotton socks. And even that includes myself, because um, you see, the trouble is these modern historians, they weren't there. Um, and I was listening to actually a, a little podcast that I'd done a few months ago about um, Titus jo Josephus Flavius. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. You probably never have. Sounds have very familiar, <laughs> but can't okay. say I know a whole lot. Well, um, young um, Titus Flavius Josephus was a Jewish historian, okay, um, around, born around 37 AD, in, uh, I think in Galilee or in Palestine, somewhere around there. Um, and he got uh, uh, commissioned by the Romans who were invading the area at the time to write the history of the time, which of course featured the Romans because they were the, you know, as they say, the, uh, the victors write the history. Having said that, I've got the book um, up on my shelf here, and there's about 700 pages of Titus Flavius Josephus wrote about the history of the time. Now, my point is that a certain other man lived at the same time, almost in the same area as Titus Flavius Josephus. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. So you would expect, given the impact that the said Jesus has had on the world and the way it thinks and its moralities and philosophies and so on and practices, to be virtually filled with um, references to Jesus the Christ. But no, there are two paragraphs out of 700 pages. Okay. So, fast forward to any time in history, if you like, and, I mean, th this is a guy writing about his own time. He's not writing history. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? And this is the problem that historians have, because they can only see what they can see according to their mental arrangement. So Titus Flavius Josephus, a mental arrangement, only allowed him to see what the Romans wanted him to see because he was writing for them. You get a Marxist writing history about the Roman Empire, and what's he going to write about? He's going to write about the methods of production. He's going to write about slavery. He's going to write about the rights of, you know, the employment rights. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the lens. So a historian is only going to see, even today, even the best ones, because he's only referencing what other people have written, he's only going to see what his mental excuse me, his, his mental arrangement allows him to see. And that is what? 1%, 2% of what actually happened and the way it happened 
and why it happened. And they are the, the three key questions. What happened, where it happened, and why, why it happened. And I, I the, the, certainly the last question is what, what grabs me the most is to try to understand or at least appreciate. I think it's, it's difficult because say, for example, you want to, uh, you've got me going here now. You got you realize that you have to shut me up in a minute. Um, you, you appreciate that if you want to understand ancient Egypt, you have to think like an ancient Egyptian. Otherwise, how can you understand? We can't. That, that kind of summarizes exactly what I've just been saying. But who can think like an ancient Egyptian? We can't. It's very, very, very difficult without without living in the way they lived but even then how do we do that so the best you can hope for is to try and appreciate the way they lived and the way they thought and that applies to any period of history do you see what i'm saying absolutely definitely i think it's probably one of the most insightful answers i've ever gotten to that question in any interview i will okay. say that and of course seeing something through the lens like you mentioned you're not going to see something i guess the easiest analogy in modern day terms would kind of be like walking a mile in somebody else's shoes trying to imagine what it would be like to mm. see things through somebody else's perspective brilliant brilliant yes not only that i mean you might try it sometime walk down the street and find somebody like 20 yards in front of you and walk and follow their walk, not, not just follow, but actually make the same movements as them. Even the head movement, the way, that, the, 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 way the, the shoulders move, the, the hands move, the hips, do you see what I mean? Then you actually are walking in their footsteps because as a wise man once said, alter your stride and meet a stranger, which moots the question, do we really know ourselves and do we really know anything? <laughs> but so let's not quite go that far. That would be a whole nother philosophical podcast where oh, you and I yes. could go on for hours about that. Yeah, point. no, we could, couldn't we? <laughs> Definitely. So, you know, I mean, there's one thing about my novel, The Old Dragon's Head, it's called. You know, and we in England, we have this thing where um, I mean, it's, 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 it's very, um, very sort of uh, prejudiced. They, the, a person's mother-in-law is often referred to as an old dragon, right? And if you're married, and of course, it's very prejudicial and, and, and nasty. So the point I'm trying to make is that if you, people might see that title, The Old Dragon's Head, and they think it's, yes, it's to do with fantasy because certainly the, the cover is suggestive of it. I don't know if I can hold it up. And, um, you know, it's got a sort of a slightly fantastical side to it. And that points to a person's assumptions about what they're looking at. Okay. But actually the old dragon was supposedly something that lived inside in a kind of numinous or supernatural way, lived inside the Great Wall of China. The Chinese believed it would come and protect them from the nasty Mongols 
in the north if ever they were attacked. And so the old dragon's head is where the great wall meets the sea for the only time and the far eastern end of the great wall. So that's the head of the old dragon. So it's not what people think. And just in that whole little drama, you've got, you know, the, the, the assumption, I call, I call it the A and E. I don't know if you have the same uh, phrase in America, but the A and E in England is accident and emergency. It's where you go if you, if you have a car accident or something, or you don't feel very well and the doctor's not around. You go to the A and E department. But A&E, in another way, is assumptions and expectations, right? Because they can also land you in a big load of trouble because they lead you down a path. Do you see what I'm saying, don't you? Great. Uh, which just is not real, is not true. It's just a surrogacy. Do you understand the word surrogacy? It's like a substitute. It leads you down a substitute. You get a substitute reality for it. A little bit about the book there. Um, I like that. I actually really like that a lot because Jenny kind of like the cover, right? <laughs> it's yeah. Everything A and D that makes perfect sense. It does, doesn't it? Would, so you, know, you wouldn't know until you'd open the book. <laughs> you, you, there's a phrase. What is it? Mind your P, P's and Q's. Have you ever heard that phrase? I have actually. <laughs> Do you know what P's and Q's stands for? I can't say. I remember. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows, but I'm going to tell you. It means pleadings and questionings. Mm -hmm. Comes from Egypt. So A and E is like, you better mind your A and E, mind your assumptions and expectations. But they're difficult to spot, spot on there because they sort of get at you through the semi-conscious. Often you're not conscious that you're, that that's where your mental arrangement is taking you that day, I suppose. Definitely. And Justin, kind of uh, going off of the covers here and bringing up the dragon's head, I've noticed mm. that you have the same cover artist for all the books, or I'm assuming it's an Annie. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, he, he, his, his name is Jim Burns. He, he doesn't live too far from me. I live in the West Country near Bristol in, in England. And mm -hmm. he lives uh, maybe... 20, 30 miles away. He's done a lot of fantasy cover art work. Um, you can find them online, it's spectacular artwork. And he draws women. You can tell that he adores women uh, because the way he draws girls and women is just, just so lovely. Um, but that's an aside. Uh, so yes, he has done all four, not four covers and it gives, the book gives me a little bit of a brand. Um, you know, as people see, they're, they're, they're similar books. Um, and what I say to folks is, yeah, the, the cover artist is the same and the themes are similar because they cover things like coming of age, not only of, <clears throat> of people, but of the nations in which they live. So, you know, the old dragon's head, um, has got a whole journey for um, uh, a young man called Bolin, who works on the Great Wall and has some visions of things that have happened on the wall. Uh, and it's set in 1400. 
at this far eastern end of the Great Wall of China. Um, and he doesn't know what the visions mean. So he goes to see the local abbot. And in those days, you know, the, uh, I, I looked up how, how they did exorcisms. So he, he, he has this exorcism, but the trouble is it doesn't work. He still has the visions. So he has to go and see Luli. Luli is uh, the, the local seer, the local clairvoyant. And I don't know if you ever heard the phrase yin yang eyes. It's what the Chinese call a clairvoyant. They have yin yang eyes. It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then she explains a whole different meaning to these visions. Um, uh, and if, if we've got time, I'll tell you a bit about uh, the shop that she runs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, she, she runs something called the Po Office. Now, in England, we have, we have post offices where you go and post your letters, okay? So I like to, this play on words, this pun, and they call it a Po Office. Now, Po in Chinese is the name for a soul. 